You're listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I love to run, period. You can always run faster. Forever, you're going to feel something. You're going to run into roadblocks, but that's also going to teach you how to handle things in life. I don't think we want to be like rocks where we're not affected by anything. It's not maybe a physical thing, but it's a mental thing. There's like two voices in me, alpha and beta. Really trying to do is just keep moving forward. Every single runner knows what that means. My life has a purpose, and maybe it's not what I thought it was going to be, but. There were times when I didn't think I would be able to come back. There's a lot of people that had different gifts, and they don't use it. I think if we all use our gifts, we could do something really special, not for ourselves, but for our family. If we're really good, we could do something for our community. Wherever we live, wherever we live. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's your host, Mario Fraioli. We are back with the fourth and final installment of our Coach to Coach series for the Morning Shakeout podcast. And here, once again, to set this one up with me is my right-hand man, Chris Douglas. Chris, how are you? Doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing well. Um, that's all I got for now. So you got. Well, I'm going to add something in there. So this is just you know recording this on uh, Wednesday. This past weekend, your wife Christine raced Ironman California, um, and you know there's a lot of unsung heroes in these things. Not just because Christine needs to train for these races, but you know Sherpa duties are very important. And I know you take these really seriously. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how your uh, <laughs> your Sherpaing went. Yeah, well, um, I appreciate you acknowledging that. I'm super proud of Christine. I am, I did not have half the day that she did, but I am still dealing with some of the post Iron Man Sherpa brain fog uh, (laughs) that, you know, that that just kind of goes part and parcel uh, when you're following someone around for 11 hours in the rain. No yeah. less. Uh, it was it was a long day, but it was a memorable one. It was super fun. I'm really proud of her. She says it was her last Ironman. She came away, put leaving it all out there and with a 44 minute PR. So it's amazing. It it's amazing. Yeah, I mean conditions looked uh, looked challenging to say the least. Uh, yeah, what well, was supposed to be a 30 percent chance of rain in the afternoon and totaling a tenth of an inch ended up being three very distinct downpours totaling over an inch and <laughs> flooded many areas of downtown Sacramento. So Right, yeah, 30% chance of rain to 300% because it rained three times. Is yeah, that how, and, is that I, how that math works? and I did not come adequately prepared for those conditions. So I was completely soaked to the bone. <laughs> well, I'm sure Christine really appreciated you being there. Um, now, getting that out of the way, I'm really excited for this conversation with... Megan Young. She is a performance coach for Seattle Sounders, which if you don't know what that is, that's a professional men's uh, soccer league. That's Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer, yeah. So it's a pro team. I think they've won the title once or twice. Um, yeah, and it, I, I think just starting right off, I love that her title is performance coach. Um, you know, in this conversation, you talked about how, yeah, it's just strength and conditioning, but it's so much more than that. So I'm curious, you know, how you came across Megan and how you, you thought she'd be a good fit for this show. Yeah, so some listeners who also read the newsletter may know that about a month or so ago, I reactivated my Instagram account. And the last guest in this series, Stu McMillan, shared something from 
Megan and as I'm apt to do, Stu and I talked about this, I went down the rabbit hole and I was like, I feel like this is someone I should know and need to talk to and that I relate to even though I'd never spoken to her in my entire life. So I started following her on Instagram. She was just kicking off this Go Ruck challenge, which we talked about at the beginning of this conversation. And what that was for Megan was a 20-day challenge where she rucked 5K a day and she finished on October 20th, which is her alive day. And Megan is a, a cancer survivor. And I was just like, she's cool. And she has a cool job. She's a performance mm-hmm. <laughs> coach for a professional soccer team. She's super smart. So I shot her a note and we went back and forth. I asked her if she wanted to be a guest on the podcast. She said she'd followed me for years, which I didn't know. And the result of that is this conversation that you're all about to listen to. Yeah. I mean, and what a conversation it was. I mean, there's so many, there's so many threads in there to pull out. I think one that I really liked was... Um, from a coaching perspective, ha- having like a beginner's mindset, mm-hmm. sort of the, the, the notion that, um, you know, what would you, where would you do, where would you go if there were no wrong answers because you're just starting off? And I just thought that was such an interesting perspective. Yeah, me too. And I love how Megan framed that in in this conversation and, and how that's come up a few times for her over the course of her career. Yeah, yeah. I guess like the last notion before we get into this without giving it all away is... Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of conversations around coaches needing coaches, mm-hmm. um, and I just thought that was so apropos. Like, you know, Mario, I know you super well um, for a really long time at this point, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, you know, I see you talk to other coaches and get insights from other coaches, and, and feel like there's still room for growth. And, um, you know, I, th- I think like from our relationship, I've learned a lot from you, but it's also I always see you growing and learning and seeking more and not thinking that you have all the answers and not thinking that you have it all figured out, which which it was great just to hear that sort of talked about in this episode. Yeah, it I don't want this to come off the wrong way. It felt very validating to hear that from Megan, someone who is operating at a super high level. But I also agree with her that coaches need coaches. We need to learn how to care for ourselves and watch out for each other. It's a demanding profession. A lot of coaches are are givers and we will give everything that we have for the athletes or just the people that we work with, oftentimes to our own detriment. Sometimes we, we won't um, be about it, as I, as I like to say. And I really appreciate that about about Megan. It's something that she's very, very passionate about comes across in, in this conversation. And yeah, I mean, kind of going hand in hand with that. Megan is just this lifelong learner. She has a voracious appetite for learning. I mean, she's got more letters after her name. I mean, she's got (laughs) crazy amounts of degrees. She revealed in this conversation for the first time publicly that she's going through a massage training course right now, not because she wants to become a massage therapist, but she just wants to learn more about like the body and how pieces, you know, kind of like fit together. And, um, I feel like that's an essential element of, of being a good coach is that hunger for learning. And I mean, I've said this, if, if I ever say that I have it all figured out, like I'm going to fire myself because then I don't belong in the coaching profession from, from that point forward. I, I think none of us have it all figured out. There's always more to learn. There's always insights that can be gained. And I think that is a crucial element to having a long, fulfilling career as a coach. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, anyway, I think this conversation is awesome and I think everyone's really going to enjoy it. Great way to wrap up this series, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I must say, I mean, not to pat myself on the back. I really love the series. I mean, it was very self-serving in a lot of ways. I, I love talking to other coaches. I like that we had Brad Stolberg, who is a different kind of performance coach, works mm-hmm. mainly with executives, had Don Swartz, who coaches swimmers and sort of has had this second career as a coach after taking some time away from the profession, Stu McMillan, in the last episode, one of the top sprint coaches in the world, and Megan, who is a performance coach of a different sort, mostly centered around what was, I guess, formerly called strength and conditioning, but has so many other elements to it works in a team environment which is very different from a lot of the other coaches that Mm -hmm. um we've talked to so i'm really proud of this series i enjoyed it i learned a lot i mean for me even if i've known some of these people for a while like brad and uh even don through my my wife christine it's a form of i think indirect mentorship i mean for me Mm -hmm. i'm in these conversations so it's kind of direct and in that way but i think for anyone who is listening to these conversations you may never meet brad or don or megan or Stu, but hearing them in this format can serve as a form of of mentoring and maybe have some of the questions that you've been thinking about answered or experiences that you can relate to and i've heard a lot of great feedback from coaches of all sports at all levels about this series and it's just something i'm glad that i was able to put out into the world Totally. I think like, you know, before we, before we shout out the sponsors for the show, I feel like one of the things I really loved about this series is that it sort of helps set the standard of what really good coaching mm-hmm. is supposed to look like. And it's supposed to look like something that's, that's um, you know, responsive to people that is with a lot of introspection that has, you know, there's a lot of pieces that are, that are just, you know, there's some vulnerability in there as well. And yeah, I mean, if I'm ever out looking for a coach, <laughs> you know, there, there's definitely some values and some features that I'm going to look for in a coach. And I think this series really helped lay out, well, well what are, what, what's, what is the best about coaching that, that you should be looking for as, a, as an athlete or entrepreneur, or whatever. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And before we shout out the sponsors, the last thing that I'll say is that is something I really wanted to get across. I love running coaches. I'm a running coach myself. I've had a lot of them on the podcast. I did not want to talk to just running coaches for this little mini series of the podcast because I wanted to show exactly what you just said, that there are a lot of parallels and through lines for good coaching, whether you are working with executives and entrepreneurs or sprinters or swimmers or team sports. I mean, a lot of those kind of core values, foundational pieces, whatever you want to call them, are the same throughout. Obviously, the specifics of how you work with someone are going to differ based on the situation, but I think that came across in this as well. And I have a lot of young or new coaches who come to me for advice. I'm always happy to answer questions, but a lot of times those questions are around the X's and O's of training runners, which is important, and you should teach yourself that or open your mind to learning as much as you can about different training philosophies and systems. When you've been at it long enough, you realize that that's a very small piece of the puzzle. Writing Mm -hmm. the schedules and the programming at this point of my career is the easiest thing that I do. Um, And I I don't want to speak directly for all the coaches I had on the series, but I think coming up with the plays or writing the workouts is 
one of the easiest things that they do at this point, but it's working with people developing that trust, learning how to communicate with different personality types, understanding the role that you can play in this person's life. Those are the skills that are, are hard to learn that come with experience. I think hearing from other coaches who have been through that, speaking for myself, is, is very enlightening, and I hope it was for anyone who listened to this series. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it at we'll leave it at that. Who do we got for sponsors this week? Yeah, we got Tracksmith. Tracksmith, longtime partner of the Morning Shakeout. I love everything about this brand. If you've listened to the podcast long enough, you know that by this point. Everything that they do, from the content that they create to the experiences that they cultivate to the apparel that they sell on their website and at their stores in different locations celebrates the history and culture of this sport of running that we all love so much. And as of this conversation, we are firmly into fall at this oh, yeah. point. I am wearing some version of the Brighton base layer pretty much every morning. I wore the short sleeve this morning. It is great on its own when it's you know kind of in the low mid 50s but it gets a little bit colder than that it's an awesome layering piece you can wear it under some longer sleeves or a jacket then there is a long sleeve version of that same shirt as well can be worn on its own or when it gets really cold it's an awesome base layer piece it's made of merino wool it's super comfortable it wicks sweat it manages moisture and temperature but best of all it does not smell it is the only shirt that i can wear back in the house that christine doesn't say you stink get away from me (laughs) afterward and it's my favorite piece of apparel for fall running from Tracksmith. They have a ton of other great stuff in their line for this time of year. You can check it all out at tracksmith.com slash Mario. If you are going to buy anything from Tracksmith's website, if you use the code Mario new and you're a new customer, never bought anything from Tracksmith before, that's M-A-R-I-O, capital N, capital E, capital W. That'll save you 15 bucks off your first purchase of $75 or more. And if you're a returning Tracksmith customer, you can use the code MARIOGIVE, that's M-A-R-I-O, and then G-I-V-E, all caps, and that will get you free shipping on your order. And 5% of your purchase will go to the Friendly House in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is an organization that is near and dear to me. I pretty much spent my entire childhood there. They do a lot for youth in the inner city of of Worcester, just families in general. And I couldn't be prouder that 5% of purchases using that code go to help that organization. So that code is Mario, G-I-V-E. And you can just Put that in when you check out at tracksmith.com slash Mario. We're also going to shout out a couple other partners to support us throughout the year. And that is New Balance and Precision Fuel and Hydration. If you go to themorningshakeout.com slash partners, you can learn a little bit more about both of those brands and the products that they offer, any discount codes that may be available for customers. But New Balance, in my opinion, makes the best running shoes in the world. I've been wearing them for years. The 1080 V13 is now out. Uh, Chris and I say that that is the unofficial (laughs) official shoe of (laughs) the Morning Shakeout (laughs) newsletter and podcast. I wear it for 85% of my training runs. This new version is amazing. It feels even a little bouncier than the previous versions. Super, super fun to run in. Uh, Available now, newbalance.com and at your local run specialty store. And then Precision Fuel and Hydration, that is my go-to for 
fueling and hydration for training and racing. I'm not training for anything long right now, but earlier this year when I ran the Boston Marathon, it was all precision fuel and hydration products. And even now, I'm not training for longer races, but I am doing a better job of fueling and hydrating before, during, and after my workouts. And I'll go to the pH, I keep saying pH, they're precision fuel and hydration now. So PF and H, uh, they've got these carb chews, which are great. I love using those before workouts. I will pop a gel during some of my steady state runs or even uh, during interval workouts. They've got the precision fuel drink mix. I just tried the carb only mix. It mm-hmm. doesn't have any sodium in it. Awesome taste, just like the previous version. But if you're not someone who has high sodium needs, that's a good option for you. So check out their wide range of products at precisionfuelandhydration.com. If you go to the morningshakeout.com slash partners, there are some discount codes for new customers there. And with that, let's get to this week's episode with Seattle Sounders performance coach, Megan Young. All right, Coach Megan Young, it is a real pleasure to finally sit down and have a conversation with you, and I am stoked to welcome you to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is awesome. I, I feel like it's a, a decade in the making without knowing it. Yeah, I you know, it's it's funny you say that. We were going back and forth uh, over Instagram of, of all places, and you're like, I followed you for a while, and I just started following you recently. I just got back on Instagram recently after taking three years like away from the platform completely. And this is like legit. All of you listening to us are hearing the first conversation that we've ever had, but I I don't know. I feel like I know you from like another life or something like that. You know, one of those like kind of weird feelings, uh, if that makes any sense. I hope that's not too weird. That is definitely not weird. I have a number of very close friends, like my inner circle. And when we met, it's been like similar things like this of I don't know how or why, but it's just the right win. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, well, we're going to get into all things coaching over the course of this conversation. But before we do that, my favorite thing to follow on Instagram recently was your Go Ruck challenge. And you rucked a 5K a day, uh, and it seemed like you had company for like a, a good chunk of it for 20 days. And you finished on October 20th, which is your alive day. And I'll let you speak to that. But I know for you, like building community and impacting others is like super important to everything that you do. So talk to me about the idea for this Go Ruck Challenge, just kind of how it came to be and what it meant to you to see that community and that impact come together over the course of three weeks. Yeah. I mean, I think for the past probably two to three years, I've wanted to find a way of using my social media and less about product and services, but more about that community piece. And I was like, well, what's something I can do to bring together two communities that I belong to? One being I'm a former cancer patient and a survivor. I had leukemia in 2015 and then fitness like or performance, like where I work and operate on the day to day and have education. And those two communities do a really good job of being on social media And then also supporting each other through fundraisers and things like that. But what I felt was maybe a missing piece or just something that wasn't really talked about as much is going from one to the other. Um, Going from whether you were a patient yourself or a parent of someone that was going through a cancer treatment. Like, how do you get back to the things that I consider foundational and kind of this high performance lifestyle? And if I was like, what is the first step? 
that I could get people to join in. And for me, that's kind of, I had a friend that uh, is ambassador with Go Ruck and he was like, well, what do you think about rucking? And I was like, you know, that's great because I can add a challenge to me and that we can talk about like the analogies of carrying weight for someone else. And that's kind of where this really came from. And then for everyone else, if they didn't even think they could ruck, they could walk. And I, I, it didn't matter to me. 5K was just like, that was the distance in my target. But if they hadn't even walked a mile, which I ran into some people along the way, and it was about opening a door back to fitness for them and back to that aspect of taking on challenge and seeing early stage success. And, and you know, in coaching, early success is so important in terms of how are they going to progress later. So over the 20 days, I did that for 20 days. And why 20 days? Well, October 20th is my live day. And so um, basically that was my remission date. And then five years later became my cure date from AML. And then we were basically celebrating my third year of being cured. And it really is something, I think the five years leading up to being cured, there wasn't a day that went by where I didn't think something about either cancer or the treatment process and not always negative, but just it's kind of, it's heavy and you just carry it. And that's just a part of who you are. And then after that, when I hit my cure date, October 20th of 2020, I haven't thought of it once since. And not because like I intentionally avoid it, it just, it left. And it, it was, it's so empowering to feel something leave. And I want to provide that for other people. Because they carry this heaviness, whether it was their own struggle or someone else's. And if you can help lift that weight off someone, you have no idea where their life will go. Over the course of the three weeks, and as people, myself included, were following along on social media, what were some of the stories that you were hearing from people who took part in the challenge or were just supporting you along your own journey? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the one that probably... And there's a lot, and this is not like valuing anyone above others, but, um, and it's okay for me to share their names. Max and his wife um, actually lost their daughter to my type of cancer last year. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those are the people, and they're both still helping support the charity that actually helped them with a living situation when they were in treatment. But those are the people that I was trying to reach out to. And Max is a former military guy. And fitness couldn't have been further from his mind for the three-year battle that they were in, you know. So um, he was someone that joined me on a ruck and then also is still doing them where he is. Keep going, Max. I'm watching. Um, but, yeah, the, those are the people. And it's like it, it. I work with elite athletes, elite performers every day. But there's so many stories of parents, of family that – if we can change those people's lives, like my, my purpose is to impact a hundred million lives. I work with 30 guys every day that are pretty good at sports, but that what actually gives me juice and fills my soul is helping those other people. I, I love hearing that. And that's kind of dipping into my world a little bit. I work with some higher level elite athletes, but a lot of age groupers and many of them will come to me and they got into running, distance running specifically, later in life. And more often than not, there's some 
catalyzing moment to them wanting to do that. And, you know, a, a big part of it is exactly what you were doing in this three week go ruck challenge. It's to create a community around themselves and usually to create awareness around something. So I've had people, you know, raising money for different cancer charities. I've had people, you know, just raising money for, I mean, just different charities, you know, sort of in general. And it really is incredible to see that gain momentum and see people kind of get on board that train and, and not only support that person, but then it almost lights a little spark in them to be like, well, if they can do this thing, in your case, three week go ruck challenge, or in my world, like train for a marathon, like, why can't I? And as, as a coach, I mean, yeah, you want to see someone hit their goal and perform, but seeing that is one of the most meaningful things about, I think this, this job and, you know, just getting to work with people and see them build, you know, that community, those connections and to do something, um, not for themselves, but for something bigger than themselves. Totally. And I think the next question that I challenge people, you came on one rock challenge with me, who are you bringing with you? Because I only know you and now who do you know? And that's how we impact the communities we didn't even know we were associated with. And then I get a random message from someone and I'm like, okay, you know, this person three steps removed from me, but now you're doing this thing. That, that's what it's about. And, um, you know, the impact of, of, of evolving upward spirals and gaining momentum. Like that's how we create not just local change, but everlasting, like international global impact. And, and I'd love to be a part of that. And, you know, I think running is such a, a good example of this too. And your girl is not a runner. She's not someone that's like, Mario, you know, I want to run a marathon because I'm turning 40 in next year. It's not on the bucket list that it's nowhere in this headspace of mine. But what is a part of my headspace is cardiovascular fitness, zone two work. So what does that mean? I have to become more economically efficient at probably some form of running economy, which is so unfortunate. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned this because you literally stole my next question because just, I think two days ago, tops. I mean, you posted on Instagram how the next step of this journey for you is to embark upon a 12-week return to run program. So let's just dig into that. How are you thinking about just this next step of your journey in general? You know, it's uh, it's great to approach next steps with uh, distraction, meaning like how little can I think about it? Uh, and we're in, you know, I got a lot of things going on right now, so that's fantastic. But done Day one, I did that on Saturday, actually, on the 21st, um, just to kind of keep that momentum going. And that's kind of what I meant by that whole post is once you've done something and proven to yourself you could do something you didn't even know you could do, that shouldn't be the end. Right. It should only be the next beginning. And if I'm going to say those things, then I have to believe those things and also do those things. And that, that's where I think the vulnerability of community within social media is also empowering because now these people know 12 weeks from now, you know, let's see where your girl is. So, uh, one of my friends, Jason, a fantastic run coach, uh, from Chicago, he is programming my 12 week return to run. So we, we've got one, we'll do another today, uh, and just really trying to take care of tissue tolerance for an economy 
uh, of, of gate that I, I haven't accessed as often uh, in the past three years. So you're on this 12-week return to run. You, I mean, you just said it's like, all right, it doesn't just like end there. So not to get like too far ahead of ourselves because you're not even a week in at this point. But like, where does it go from there? You, you're not going to stop at the end of 12 weeks. That's just your return to run program. So is yeah. there you know, a greater goal beyond that? Or are you really just set on not thinking about that right now? Yeah, I think right now I'm going to stick my head in the mud and stay in the 12 weeks. And um, I didn't know literally on Thursday before my last ruck, I was thinking about like, well, what's next? Mm. That's when it hit me. And that's what I was like, yeah, it's probably this running thing. Uh, and so I was like, all right, well, let, let's do it. And so I hit Jason up and he's like, let's do it. I'm in. And I said, Love okay. Um, so I think that sometimes like a good example of this is I'm actually terrible at long-term goal setting professionally because I'd set a goal like in grad school. Like I'd love to be a division one strength coach, you know, in five years, I was there in two. I'd love to learn more about sports science got another degree in two. Like, so instead of setting like a goal, uh, I think sometimes if I really just invest into what I'm doing and I'm really present and intentional, the goals kind of unveil themselves along the way. And, uh, that's fun for me instead of so much of what I do is strategy and logistics. Mm -hmm. So how can I just enjoy the presence and kind of see where it takes me? Um, because also like you're saying too, like I'm in a different age group now. I'm not in my twenties trying to hit a new top speed. Um, you know, what, what is the health span quality I can gain for myself? Um, and what other things do I want to experience in life? And for me, uh, actually our goalkeeping coach, he, he comes from an Alpine family on an off day. He'll be on the backside of Rainier skiing. He'll hike up, ski down like that type of guy. And he says, Meg, you know, for every level of fitness you gain, you get another thousand feet of beauty. And, and that has just really resonated with me yeah. being in the Pacific Northwest of like, I want to get fitter so that I can experience things and see things. Otherwise, I would never know. Yeah, I love that. Two things. One, we're very similar in the goal setting mindset. I used to, this goes back to college, think in four-year cycles. Because when you're in school, you're kind of on this natural four-year cycle. I work with a lot of Olympic trials level marathoners. So we're on a four-year cycle, you know, training for this sort of stuff. And we have to have a framework in place because there are dates that we need to be ready for. But I've found much like you, when I can be really present in whatever it is that I'm doing, those goals do just reveal themselves. And then you start to see that roadmap, so to speak, like kind of taking place in real time rather than being like, here's the map and we're going to follow it. Exactly. It's like, nope, it's kind of showing itself, you know, along the way. Oh, there's this turn coming up. I think it's probably worth our, worth our time to take that and see, you know, see kind of where it goes. Whereas before we might not have seen it. So, um, that really resonates with me. Number two, um, I turned 40 last year. So, I'm in the same kind of age range as, as you, and uh, I've begrudgingly had to accept that I can't do the things that I did when I was 20 years old. But instead of being defeated by that, because I think a lot of folks our age, especially if they come from an athletic background, lifelong athletic background, uh, they don't like looking in the mirror when it gets to that point and being like, ah, oh, I, you know, I can't do the things that I did, you know, 20 years ago. But when I flipped that narrative in my head to be like, huh, what can I do? 
you know, in my forties and how can I do things differently to maybe do something potentially better or faster if I'm thinking about performance, but mostly to find kind of more enjoyment and meaning out of it. And I mean, I'm about a year and a half in at, at this stage, but I'm having more fun with this you know, pursuit of, of performance, I think than I ever have in my entire life, because I've had to accept that blank slate and just kind of throw away all that stuff that I thought I knew about myself or how I get from point A to point B and just rethink it entirely. I think one thing you just said is it used to be about like that, that outcome goal, right? Mm -hmm. Like I finished it, I did it. But with that outcome goal, there's only yes or no. Right. Like either did it or I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. I hit my goal or didn't hit my goal. And now what you're really talking about, you use two words I love, enjoyment and fun. And when you're talking about going into your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, like I hope that I'm enjoying the journey so much that the yes or no of did I finish isn't even a thought. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm enjoying so much whatever this next little thing is. I don't know. I, I literally don't know what my running is next week. And did I enjoy my first run? No. Did I surprise myself of how much I was actually prepared for it? Thousand percent. So let me let me just live in that one little enjoyment that it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And instead of thinking like, oh, well, four by three is coming, and then probably two by eight, and the, so I think the. We've always heard it's about the journey, not the outcome or the finish. But when you start living that way, it's your 20s and your teens is just driven so much at getting to something. And your 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s is about hanging on to something. So if I can start embracing that and not even about the hanging on, but the enjoyment, I look forward to the next couple of decades. Yeah. Well, and I think there's something to be said, too, for having that beginner's mindset again, as you, as you get older, because I think with that mindset comes curiosity, but as you just described, you can also surprise yourself along the way. And, you know, that's not something I think a lot of people really appreciate as, as they get older, just that, you know, that, that wonder, that joy, that, you know, surprise of, holy shit, I just did that, you know, thing. And it, and it could just be, you know, starting the running program, or maybe it is something like, you know, you do, I'm not trying to, subconsciously plant seeds, but like finish a marathon, you know, a couple of years from now where it's like not even on your, on your radar now, but you know what I mean? When I, when I say that. Yeah, I totally, I see you planting that garden <laughs> down the road. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that the beginner's mindset, just to speak more to that, I, I wish that, um, sometimes it's like, okay, if I know I'm going to get a shot, I hate needles, right? The anticipation of that pain is worse than that pain mm -hmm. nine out of 10 times. The anticipation of embarrassment, I think, keeps so many adults from trying something new versus actually like being able to laugh at yourself and be like, you know what? I looked like an idiot just trying to learn how to do a cartwheel again. Like if you can have that kind of curious, playful, there is no right or wrong what would you do if there was no wrong answers? What limit would you break if you never saw one? If there were no barriers, what would you be willing to try? And um, I have a friend of mine that directly comes to my mind around, she'll do these cardio drumming classes, like literally where they have drumsticks and play on physio balls to music and dance the whole time. And I was like, 
no chance would you ever find me too cool for school for that. I went to one with her. It's fantastic. Like, so that sometimes you need people around you that are braver in that area than you are to drag you. And that's why the question is, who are you bringing with you? Like, who's that person coming with you? And when you start to drag people to do other things, well, guess what? You double down on your ability to go forward too. Well, along those lines, I want to take a lot more people with you. So if you're listening to this and this audience is very running heavy, follow Coach Mega Strong on Instagram. And now we're going to keep her even more accountable, but follow along her (laughs) running journey here, at least over the next 12 weeks or so. And we'll see where it goes from there. I'm excited to see where it goes from there. Um, And I, you know, I just give you, you know, I give you a lot of credit just, you know, for, not even knowing like where you were going to go after this go ruck challenge being like, that's it. Uh, and it's not something that comes easily to you naturally to you, but you're like, I'm, I'm going to give it a try and see where I end up. And I think more of us can benefit from undertaking that same sort of mindset. Totally. And you know, if you wanted to come massage my calves at any point in time, any of these people (laughs) listening that that's the tissue that we got to be most careful with, like, uh, and coming. So, I come from the field part of track and field, um, and I was a collegiate thrower. And so, like, I think my admiration for sprinting, long distance running, even middle distance hell of 400, 800 has always been there. Um, and I think that might even be what initially drew me to you. Like, when it comes to running communities, there's a certain power in that community mm-hmm. of knowing that they're going to have to push somewhere. Like, may, depending on the distance determines the push, right? But there, there's this underlying grit that comes with being a runner. And part of it is because it is just you. Track and field's an individual sport. You can train with a group all day long. But once you're hitting that 26.2 or that 13.1 or that first 1K, only you can put yourself forward and put one step in front of the other. So I, I do think there is this... And, there's zero cost to running at a very low level. I can get outside. I may not have the most elite running shoes, right? But anyone can go outside and go for a jog or go for a walk or go for a run. And I think that part of getting outside is important, but there's something powerful too, to realizing how far your own feet can take you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And then I think you know, going a step beyond that and something you're all about, we talked about a little while ago, the community aspect, you know, once you're ready to take that step, because there is a a massive community of runners out there and people who are aligned around their, their own different interests. Um, and then, you know, can all come together at something, you know, like a race or like a group run. And there's a, you know, there's a power in that, you know, and I think there's accountability in that. And I think that's what, you know, keeps people like literally keeps people going sometimes, you know, it's just that community uh, and being a part of something, but also realizing like, all right, well, if I'm going to do this thing, I also can only rely on myself to actually go to that group run, get out the door every day, you know, put that one foot in front of the other. Um, like when it comes down to that, like just most basic thing. You know, it's so funny. Um, I, I don't know when the joining of the running community group will happen, but our first, we just moved and relocated, and we're pretty close to the water here. And on our first day, we're walking down to the water, my partner and I, and there's a master's group about to go out for their swim. And she goes, hey, look, babe, it's all your friends. And I'm like, 
1000%. These are my people. Yeah. And I, I am an old soul for sure. And I love having a 4.30 dinner and going to bed, you know, early. We can talk about that later. But there, there's so much wisdom in these people. And the fact they show up and it's like, man, Jerry's going to be there every Wednesday, mm-hmm. whether that I'm there or not. And if I don't go this Wednesday, next Wednesday, his first question is going to be, where, where were you last Wednesday? <laughs> so I, it's you don't have to know these people at a deep level to feel committed to them, which is a ridiculously profound thing of like, why am I so committed to struggling with Jerry? And Jerry doesn't know me at all. Yeah. I see it every Wednesday night with the group I coach in San Francisco. I, and I've been coaching this group now for seven years. So I've seen it grow um, over the, <laughs> over that period of, of time. And like literally the group has grown, you know, in number, but the consistency of the people who show up, has gotten better and better because they know exactly who's going to be there every week. I mean, much to your point, when someone misses a week for very legit reasons, you know, whether it's their kid was sick, they were traveling for work, whatever it happened to be, that's always the first question the next week is like, hey, you know, where were you? And, you know, some of these people do have community outside of that Wednesday night workout, but a lot of them, that's, you know, that's when they meet. But when they're there for that hour and a half, you know, on Wednesday night, you can see those bonds just being formed and how they get into each other's lives and how they keep each other accountable, how they keep each other, you know, motivated. And I like to think, I try not to be nosy, but I like to think that that, you know, has has benefits even just beyond their fitness improving or hitting their race goals or whatever it happens to be. It spills over into other parts of their life as well. You know, it's interesting too, because as the coach, you're like one level removed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really fun to be the athlete. And I say this all the time, coaches need coaches. And it's not that I don't need someone to tell me to do five sets versus three sets, but I want the same person to tell me good job. And when it looked well and, you know, being coached is like something I seek. And so I think it's, that's where it's fun to be a beginner is like, I get to get coached and it probably doesn't look as right as it should. So I get to get coached a lot, which is awesome. Um, so, but it does change that relationship dynamic a little bit of, you know, with the community, I'm not showing up for the coach. I'm probably showing up for the people I'm struggling with. Yeah. Let's dive into coaching headfirst from here. Your official job title is performance coach for the Seattle Sounders MLS club. What exactly do you do as a performance coach for a professional soccer team? Cool. Um, Within the Seattle Sounders, that means like when it comes to anything off-field prescription-based of gym, uh, rehab, that type of thing, mainly in like a lifting environment, mobility environment, prepped environment, that's what my role is. Um, And I would say every one thing you should know too within professional sport is it's not you know, just you, the one coach and making all the decisions. It's you're part of a group of the team behind the team, if you will. So even though I say like I do all the lifting, it, there's influence and push and pull and conversations with so many other staff members for what those things look like. Yeah. Did you know that that was a role you eventually wanted to work up to or back to what we were saying earlier, you were just kind of being present, seeing kind of how things, you know, materialize, this opportunity came up and we're like, yep, I'm a good fit for that. Or it excites me enough that, you know, I'm going to pick up my life and move to Seattle and give this a shot. The only reason I am in this role is because my partner wanted to be back in Seattle. 
um, she did her master's and doctorate out at UW. And she came to do one year of living life in Chicago with me, which happened to be COVID, so three years. And then she was like, okay, it's time. And so I knew at that end of that last season in Chicago in 2021, we were just going to move to Seattle. Also, as a coach, moving without a job was like sitting in the pit of my stomach. Well, in August or September, I got a call around like, who's the next Megan Young we could hire here? And I was like, well, why not me? And they're like, well, you know, this this is a new role. It's not going to be a compensation level. And I was like, money's not everything. Very rarely do life and sport allow to match up. And here we are almost two years, two and a half years later. Yeah. How do the inner workings of, you know, your situation with the Sounders, like, happen on a day-to-day basis? Because there's, I imagine, I don't know as much about soccer, but I imagine there's like the club manager, right? Who's drawing up the plays and, you know, strategy for games and all that. And you are handling all of the off-field stuff as, you know, as you just described. Uh, I'm sure there are people who have nutrition specialties that help out the players, people who do more rehab type of stuff. And you're kind of like, in the middle of it all. Like you kind of got to communicate with all these different people. These people, all, all those people have to communicate with, with different people, but are you kind of like the quarterback of like the, the coaching staff, like in, in that way, or is it a little more like siloed than that? So I'd say my role in Chicago was definitely like QB one of kind of performance. And mm-hmm. that's like a high performance director role here. I would call myself the multi-purpose tool. A multi-purpose tool is fantastic. I can be a can opener, I can be a knife, I can be an envelope opener, I can be a stamp, but I have to have something else to use. Like I have to have a can to open. And so that's where all those other departments kind of fall. You know, we have a PT that I collaborate with on what's the rehab process? What are the steps? We have a head of fitness that his role as far as like on the field outside of rehab and with the performance director is they're driving like, what does the session look like? What's the intensity? What's the volume? They're in with the coaches and saying, hey, what what's actual design and flow? And what are the principles, demands? What's the game? And so like that's taking the manager, like the head coach and the assistant coaches and saying, driving it through the lens and checking boxes. But at the end of the day, it needs to be the philosophy of soccer, of the technical and tactical awareness that the staff want. And then the player physical health and performance and then marrying all those two things together is kind of like the performance director's role. Mm-hmm. And then under that is supporting those aspects. So mine on the physical preparation, whether it's what is a player doing for their individual mobility, what's happening with their individual nutrition. And like you're saying, that's consulting with part-time or full-time RDs and then following up with the player based on relationships because it's a team of, of people behind the team and maybe – I have the best relationship to talk to this player about this, but maybe this person has the best relationship with that player. So it's also personalities of dealing with humans Mm -hmm. and saying, this is my wheelhouse, but you have the best relationship. So you convey the message. It doesn't matter who's conveying the message because at the end of the day, it's the athlete center model. They're in the middle and all these other pieces are moving around it. And as long as all the boxes get checked, well, that's what matters. It didn't matter that, Megan Young's names on these boxes and this person's name doesn't matter. How do you ensure that catastrophic breakdowns of communication don't happen in an environment like that? 
I think part, it's like having foundational systems, right? Like, um, what is what is your system of communication? And you know, most pro soccer teams, you probably have some form of a morning meeting and some form of an afternoon meeting. Whether that's you and medical um, and technical staff, whether it's separate, but like every environment's ran a little different than that. But there's some sort of touch point before athletes are even in the space. And then there's some form of debrief of like, what happened in the day? How did things go? What adjustments are we making? What's the plan for tomorrow? Who needs to be pushed, pulled, modified, adjusted for what's happening rehab-wise? And how are we marrying this all together? Because as soon as players kind of get to work, that's when all the other multi-purpose tools run around and manage all those things, right? And so you, you can't be stuck in a moment of, oh, shoot, we haven't talked about that. Now, does that mean there's not communication breakdown? Of course not. Like Communication breakdown happens everywhere, but it's minimizing that communication breakdown. So one, the athlete feels there's a plan. Two, there's backing in practical application or research for whatever your intents and purposes are. And then there is a repeatable system so that if I was sick or I couldn't be at work, someone else can do that and the athlete doesn't feel like oh the world just ended because mm. i didn't get this one session with this person yeah um i appreciate you sharing that i'm super interested in it because i don't work in a team environment all of my one-on-one athletes are individual relationships that i have but within those individual relationships most of which are remote so i'm doing all of my programming communication etc like we are now, but my athletes have, in some cases, physical therapists, especially if they come back from injuries. Uh, they may or may not have a nutritionist that they work with. They may or may not have their own strength coach, you know, that they've been working with for years. And I think how my coaching practice has evolved a lot over the last five years is putting those foundational elements in place so that I'm in touch with all of these different people that are on a person's team who are also kind of just scattered, you know, about, we don't, we don't have like a standing, like, you know, Monday meeting, but I have to have times where I'm like, Hey, we got to make sure everyone's on the same page because if someone's coming back from injury and, you know, the physical therapist is saying, well, based on, you know, what I'm, what I'm seeing in my, my office, here's what they need to be focusing on right now. And then they've got a strength coach telling them something else and me trying to figure out like how much running can they handle? It's like, you know, if, if we're not all on the same page, the the person who suffers is, you know, the athlete. Um, so, uh, I appreciate you sharing that because that's something I've had to just kind of get better and better at. And, um, what makes it challenging is, you know, I work with 20 to 25 athletes at any given time. Not everyone has like that extensive of a team around them, but many of, many of them do. And it's managing all of these different little, you know, kind of different little teams. But when I, when I've put those foundational elements in place, it's like, all right, here's how communication is going to happen. Um, here's how often all those, all those sorts of things. Um, there are, it's, a lesser likelihood that there's a breakdown in communication. Um, and you know, the athlete feels like, all right, everyone's looking out for my best interest and helping me to get where it is. I want to go. Yeah. I mean, first of all, shout out to the runners with strength coaches. Um, I appreciate that. And then the other side of it too, is, you know, in within soccer or football, if you will, it is still very common for the player to get looked at majority through the club. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're talking NBA, it is very common for them to have their team of people around them, right? And similar sometimes in the NFL. And 
part of that is because one, the length of off season, in season, two, um, relationships, like guys get traded, moved around, three, guaranteed money. When you can afford to have your same team travel with you regardless and pay them, then it's a little less of a factor. So uh, a lot a lot of teams within pro sport are really a group of individuals, and then mm-hmm. it's the management of the people and the personalities to make the team. Whereas in our space, it's still the complete management of the health and performance of the athlete and then also looking forward to them as a person, emotionally, spiritually, and all of those things. So, yeah, I, I've seen both sides of that, and I've seen it work really well where um, I, I know someone that worked with an NBA player, traveled with them for every game, and that was his strength coach and kind of like his PT slash strength coach that did all of his work. And that was a great relationship and welcome in. And I've also known people within other organizations that weren't welcomed and even though like there is collective bargaining agreements in certain leagues where they have to be let in. Um, so part of it falls on like, what are the rules? What are the CBA negotiations mm-hmm. around player care? And then what's mandated? And then um, how long when we spend literally five to six hours to seven to eight hours with these guys every day, and we're in almost month 11 being together there's not a lot of space for outside care. So, um, whereas if, you know, they have four months off during the summer, that might look a little different. Um, so I, I think it's important for people to, uh, especially coaches like that. That's a skill I had to develop going from college to pro of how do you work with outside practitioners? Mm. And I doubled down and said, what can I learn instead of what can I limit? And if it's, what can I learn from, one, to help this player have, I hate, I don't like the term buy-in, but how can I transfer some of the things I can see they're doing them well into what they're doing with me long-term? And then two, what can I learn from how this relationship came about and all the information they had on this person that I met and this is my day one, but it's their day 5,000 with this player. Um, so, yeah. Let's dig into learning a little bit. I think that's one of the things that I admire most about you. I mean, you have, I don't know how many letters after your name. I mean, you've gotten all these different degrees, you know, certifications, but I've listened to you on other podcasts. You seem to have this like insatiable appetite for learning. And I'm curious, has it always been that way for you? And where do you think you got that from? You know, I have no idea where it came from because my brother doesn't doesn't have it. He has uh, an insatiable knowledge for driving in the business world. And I have like, thank goodness, my partner works in industry and can upskill me there because that's just not what I care to know. I don't want to know what P&L means, but I know what it means. Um, for, for me, I think that it's <laughs> there's just so much you can know. And if you know something, you always know it, but also then you can't unknow it. <laughs> so there's that as well. And I, I think that there's no limit to what I can learn. Um, and if I can help one more person by learning something different or evolve my own framework or challenge my own perspective and somewhat evolve that that's that's where kind of that quest for learning comes it's you know here's it's kind of like probably when you started running 
your first running program, if you looked at it now, you probably laugh, mm-hmm. right? And there's something to that, right? It it hasn't stopped you from moving forward and saying, ah, maybe volume isn't king, and maybe there needs to be intensity at certain times. Like there are all those thoughts, and then you trickle in even more. Maybe we do need to work on more basic fundamental mechanics, and then maybe I need a little lifting. Maybe I need to know a little bit more about nutrition. So it's kind of that same thing. The path unfolds itself. Right now, it's this isn't even shared publicly, but that's fine. I'm in massage school, not because I want to do massage, but I want to be able to learn the ins and outs of that. And I will tell you, I love structured learning. I am a sucker for structured learning. So you're telling me for seven months, there's a beginning, there's an end, and there's a definitive thing that or concept that I'm going to learn. Great. And for me, the reason, the driver behind this though is there's so much need for manual work and mobilization work for players. And uh, this was like one of the shortest routes to kind of getting to that time point. Um, and then teaching people and learning myself. And I think that um, it goes a long way to have like a sense of touch and being able to help people. Um, so I have no idea how it'll actually serve me long term, but it's the current structured learning that I'm going down. I got to ask you this because I talked to Stu McMillan about it. He called it a disease, one that he and I both suffer from. But I'm I'm ah. insatiably curious. But whenever I read something, watch something, listening to something, 99.9% of the time, even if I tell myself the point is not for me to learn to help me become a better coach, I mean, that's, that's what's happening. Um, do you suffer from that same disease? Um, my... My account balance would say so. Uh, and, and the, you know, like everything, even when I'm like, okay, I'm going to read something that has nothing to do with coaching. Yeah. I take notes. So I'm like, here's how this can apply to this person. And here's how this going to help this relationship. And I'm like, golly, this was supposed to be a self help book, not a Megan Help the World book, but that's what it is. So you do suffer from the same diseases as, as Stu and I. Yes, yes, yes. It's uh, quite infectious. Yeah. Um, I asked him this this question. I'll ask it to you out of, of curiosity. Do you or can you read fiction? Just enjoy a fictional story or is that something that you struggle with? I I struggle with this. Um, it's okay. I do it too. Ha- it happens occasionally. I think by mistake sometimes, sometimes I get a book and I don't realize what it is until maybe I'm a chapter in and then it's about the finish and I'm like, okay, well now I need to know, even though it has nothing to do with anything. But yeah, most of the time, like if I'm looking at my bookshelves right now, there's not a whole lot of fiction floating around. Uh, Yeah. I'm I'm looking over at mine and uh, if there's two fiction titles on that shelf, I'd be, you know, I'd be shocked. But um, I I mean, I think what it comes down to, you know, certainly speaking for myself, but I've seen this um, in a lot of other coaches is just this, this appetite for, for curiosity. You know, we're just curious, like, how do, how does this work? Um, Or how can I take this and apply it to, you know, what it is that I'm doing? Or like, I call it just connecting the dots. Like, how can I connect all of these different dots? And sometimes I don't even know that I'm trying to connect the dots, but it's like, all right, I've gone down this rabbit hole on one thing. I've gone down this other rabbit hole on something else. Um, uh, with no idea that I'm going to relate the two. And then eventually I have like the aha moment where I'm like, oh, I see how these like different, you know, these different things, you know, kind of 
fit together. And I mean, that's been, I mean, that's been my life since like high school at least. So. Yeah. I I talk about this too, like whether it's like learning moments or skill acquisition or coming back to that same poor decision that you make, it's that kind of like upward spiral where even though the width is growing as you move up, you still come around that same time point over top of one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that though, as I've aged, those happen faster, which is enjoyable. So the mistakes you see coming now and you're like, Oh, wait a second. That took me six months to learn last time. Now it's six weeks. Um, uh, and I think the same comes for learning. And I think what I've also gained is I, I I've always had good discernment but having higher discernment of knowing when to leave something too mm. is also something that I'm really curious about is when you start something, how do you know it's okay to end it because it's not the right thing? Yeah. It, it's funny you say that when I was younger, I told myself I had, if I started reading a book, I had to finish it because there was something that I needed to take away from it. And to your point, as I've gotten older, I like my discernment has gotten better where I'm like, Nope, this isn't serving me out. Like I'm just going to spend if I'm I've got limited time. If I'm going to spend my time, you know, reading a book, I'm going to make sure that it's something that, you know, I can learn something from and apply to what it is that that I'm doing and not finish it just to say that, you know, I've finished what I started type of thing. Yeah, and it's also relationships too, right? It coming back to like that full circle of coaching and um I don't choose the players I work with. Like that's determined by a club and you probably take on certain athletes that are more challenging, but also, you know, there's bills to pay and things like that. But at the end of the day, like you have to, I, I tell my partner, I reserve the right to blow up my life at any point in time. And that's just like, I just need to know that that eject button is next to me. I don't actually need it most of the time, but I, I think that that is a powerful thing that you learn of what are you willing to do? when your life isn't serving you. It's not just like learning or this one relationship. Are you willing to change everything or what, what is your ego willing to let go of? Um, and I think those are interesting questions and I get more interceptive and, um, reflective upon those things as I age too. So hopefully one of those days I'll be like the 90 year old lady sitting on the bench with my same dog. Cause he's going to live to be 150 and, they're like, she's just always there. And she's just always thinking like that, that I hope is me, you know, in a couple decades. I love it. Um, bringing this back to coaching as a craft, I've asked this of all of my guests in this little series so far, but in very broad strokes, what do you view as the primary role of a coach? It's a great question. I would say the primary role of a coach is caring about the person in front of them, but care can be such a different word. Care can mean like emotionally caring for someone as they're going through something. And care can be being disciplined for someone and holding them accountable. Care can be pushing them past what they thought their limits can be. But I think care is a good word because there's safety in having a coach, right? Like I feel more comfortable on a return to run program because I have a coach. Why? 
there's some sort of safety and care within that word uh, instead of just being left to your own devices. Um, so I, I think care is like the fundamental thing of a coach. And then the, the next thing would be uh, expertise or knowledge. And so that because there's so many different types of coaches, how do you know there's a good coach, right? If you go into the internet and say, coach, I mean, chat GPT thinks it can coach your running now. So like, that's great. But how do you have discernment of finding the right coach? And unfortunately in gen pop, sometimes it's finding the wrong coach to get the right one. Mm. Um, so I, I think that it's unfortunate that People don't know what all the letters behind your name or my name means because they're not in coaching. It doesn't matter to them. What matters to them is do they have a connection and does that person care for them? So actually, I, I revisit and say it's care and connection. And for me, I'd say my role is connecting people to themselves or people to information or people to each other. And I think that's your role as a coach, too. Yeah, I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. When did you know that this was the path that you wanted to beyond there is a specific date i can actually share this moment in that i was a freshman thrower and i had bicep tendonitis so i was having to do strength work and my strength coach took it upon himself and this was a mid-major d1 so that means that he had like 19 teams so why did he make time for this freshman thrower i have no idea but he cared and so I go in at 5.30 in the morning, and I thought it was the best thing ever to just get destroyed by this person. And about two weeks of that, he looks at me and goes, you're going to be a strength coach. And I was like, it's interesting because up until this moment, until you said those words, I was going to law school because I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was like four years old. And I was like, but you know what? You're right. And I changed my major, and I le- never looked back. I love that. I love that story. Um and I totally just had a brain fart and don't remember where I was going to go next. This is this is what sucks about getting old. Sometimes these things happen. Uh, <laughs> where you're like, where happens when you're young too. You're just like, is it Tuesday? <laughs> no, I, I I've I've noticed it a lot more as I've gotten older. Where I've, I'm usually like kind of quick to react on things, and I'm like, uh, totally like totally drew a blank. Um, but let's just go through next steps from there. I mean, so this is your freshman year. In college, you competed collegiately for four years. What were what were those next steps for you? Did you change your major? Did it change like your grad school plans? Because obviously, you didn't go to law school. I don't think you went to law school after you finished your your undergrad. Not yet. Uh, it hadn't been ruled out. <laughs> the, <laughs> the the only one that's been ruled out is med school. Uh, that that's it. But the yeah, so I changed majors, and back then, and I can say back then because it's more than two decades ago, um, it was physical education and maybe a concentration in exercise science. And then I said, you know what? Like nearing the end of my undergrad, I was like, do I want to actually be more like physical therapy, or do I want to be more strength and conditioning? And there was only four or five programs in the world at that point that weren't a clinical like cardiac rehab exercise physiology base and they were more practical applications. So I actually applied to like a PT school and then I applied to these programs that had an actual strength and conditioning curriculum. So I ended up going to Baylor um, that had an exercise physiology, but strength and conditioning like applied application program. And 
I'm so grateful that I did that because, yeah, I taught – if you've never been to grad school, you shouldn't have to pay for grad school because you should do one of these things where you teach four classes and they comp your tuition and hopefully give you some form of a stipend so that you can spend any of those extra moments you had volunteering in the weight room uh, 60 to 70 hours a week from you know 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. And, um, that, that was my life for a year and a half at Baylor and I absolutely loved it. And during that time at Baylor though, the actual strength coaches, or this was when strength and conditioning started to be called performance instead of just strength and conditioning. And part of that for listeners, runners, whatever, is because when you think about performance, you think about so many things. You think about recovery, you think about sleep, you think about nutrition, um, you think about mobility, but if I say strength and conditioning, you think about two things, mm. strength and conditioning. <laughs> and what about power? What? So performance was like one of these terms that's kind of come out and aged out strength and conditioning as far as a, a title. Um, but the coaches that I worked with were relatively young in their careers. They were at big time jobs uh, in that we were big 12 division one. But they didn't have – I knew that it took a network to get to somewhere, and so I wanted to work for someone that could vet me into their network. And um, so that would led me to wanting to apply for a professional internship at Auburn University, paying a grand total before taxes of $1,000 a month. And so I – I got that opportunity and jumped at it to work for Kevin Yoxel, who was football at the time. And he was the president of one of the governing bodies of performance coaches. So I went there and uh, worked my butt off for about another year and a half and then got offered a full-time role, which turned to almost 12 years at Auburn. Um, and then went on to Chicago. And kind of like you're saying, like I didn't see the Chicago job coming. I, I wasn't set out to be like, I want to be in pro soccer. Um, probably at one point in my career in grad school, I was like, oh, pro basketball would be nice. I'm from North Carolina, uh, grew up a Duke fan. Like basketball is just kind of in your blood. So I think it was just kind of this thing of like the basketball is where we'll go. Are you a Carolina fan? Do we no, this is why this this is why I like you. Uh, and I did not know that about you because uh-huh. I am a lifelong Duke basketball fan. I grew up in Massachusetts, but – Coach Mike Krzyzewski is one of my heroes. I mean, I'm going back I, here uh, just to prove to you I'm, I'm not like bullshitting you. Um, going back to 92, Christian Leitner on the dream team. Okay. Bobby, yeah. Bobby, Bobby Hurley, Steve Wojciechowski, eventually Trajan Langdon. Like the whole, like I, I was all in on Duke. I still have Trajan Langdon jersey in my closet. Uh, 91, 92, back to back national champions. Let's go. Come on. Yeah. I, I can shame Battier, Carlos Boozer. Let's go. Yeah. We can go down the list. Let's do it. Cameron Craig. I mean, yeah, I, I still have not been to a game, uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium, but eventually uh, that will happen. Yeah, you anyway. need to make that happen. Anyway, that's a whole nother podcast that we could uh, we could do on a, on a different day. So sorry to cut you off, but I had to had to jump, no. jump in there. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I just think it's, I, I didn't see any of necessarily these steps coming, but I was willing to say yes to them. So mm. that's more of a life philosophy, and, and that got easier to do after uh, my battle with cancer, too. It was, it was easier to say no to things. I've always been pretty good at saying yes, sometimes saying yes to too much, taking on too much. 
But the ability to say no and feeling confident with that and not guilty, I think is a learned skill. Um, especially I, I'm pretty empathetic in <laughs> taking on other people's emotions or feeling guilty for not being able to do more for people. And now it's not, you know, not doing enough. It's how much more can I do in a different way? Um, I think, I think that's a skill to learn as a coach as well. Um, but yeah, I'm been really excited about where my journey as a coach has taken me. Uh, I think also, uh, if you look at like coaching, it's not really like there's a grand retirement plan for coaching. So I think that it's, um, something that people should be aware of when they decide to get in coaching, right? Like what is, what's your retirement plan? Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because my wife and I talk about this all the time because I'm self-employed. So I don't have anyone who's offering me a 401k or a retirement plan. And I've told her, I was like, well, I'm going to do this until I lose all my capacities and I'm not able to, to do it anymore. I'll just, you know, scale it back as I get older and maybe can't do it quite as much. And that'll be my retirement plan. She's like, that's not a good, my, my wife's very much a <laughs> A planner and like security, and she's like, "That's not a good plan. We've got to like figure out how to how to do this." So I, I chuckle as you describe that, but it's true. I mean, you know, I think coaching, you know, whether you're at the professional level, you do it collegiately, you coach, you know, private clients like I do. Um, you know, you're a high school coach. Uh, I mean, the, I feel like the industry as a whole is just very like scattered all over the place, uh, and there's no, you know, kind of clear path. Like this is this is how you do it and set yourself up for success, and you know, in the long term, which is why I think you know these conversations and sharing them is important because I know there are people who are listening to this. It's like, yeah, I I, I want to coach. Like that feels like my calling in life, but you know, it just doesn't seem like a a viable option. Whether it's strength and conditioning, they're you know coaching basketball, you know, they're coaching runners like like I am, and I I hear stuff like this all the time. Yeah, I think people need to be really certain on the difference between a passion and a purpose. Mm. Because if your purpose is to serve people, well, your passion might be doing that through the lens of coaching. Well, keep that as a passion, but your purpose can be done through so many other things. And then as a reminder, too, there's plenty of people that have had so much impact of serving people because they've gone out and made a lot of money over here and then come back to something later. And um, that's why I love hanging out with people over the age of 55, shout out, um, because they have the most interesting stories about having their second career. And um, hopefully that's not something I'm thinking about right now, but could happen in the down the line. Like I'll ask you for advice when I hit 40 next year. And um, that's kind of the natural progression, but it's an interesting thing of people that are like, yeah, I worked in this factory for 20 years and then I started my own business. Those are the people I want to learn from um, because they, they've set out and done something different. And I think that when you talk about the disease of insatiable learning, um, it, the, the experiential learning is a big part of that. And that's probably more what I seek now than like the, the academic book. yeah pursuits sure uh, and, and because that's also what i want to bring to people more is um more than ever because of social media access to entertainment and information experiences that are all-time high of people wanting them and or thinking they want them so how can we provide the best experience for people that's going to make an impact and hopefully that impact is a step forward for positive life change to where their life can mimic more of this experience and less of this distraction. Mm. 
I'm curious, how have you evolved most as a coach in all the time that you've been doing this? Um, I'd say it's just how I've evolved as a person. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think starting out you, or for me, I can say I kept the coach and the person separate. Uh, You know, it's kind of like when I'm coaching, you're on, and this is my life when I'm not on, uh, those two things are pretty much the same all the time now. Um, and I, I don't know why I felt that way of like, you know, I put this persona on maybe it's because you're looking up at people to like learn from of, okay, this is how they act and they present and you don't necessarily know what your coaching voice and, um, personality is going to be. Uh, so you learn by mir- mirroring just like kids do. But at a certain point, I think that also realizing the person I am is okay to come across as a coach. Meaning not having all the answers, being awkward and funny, um, using dry sarcasm 90% of the time. Those things can have a space in coaching. And being very detailed and broken down and the players always understand there's a next layer. uh, That's okay. That's who I am as a person. There's always a next layer. Just when you think you've got it exactly how I want it, I'm like, okay, now we can add this. And they're like, oh, I thought we were done. I thought we'd reach the end. So I, I think they're just not separating the the person, Megan, and the coach, Megan. And whether that's ego and self and natural evolution of me understanding both and uh, hopefully having less of one and being more true to the other. Um, yeah. I don't know, but I think that just being authentically who I am all the time, all the vulnerabilities and uh, insecurities and all of those things and being aware of them, like that that's who I want people to know is Coach Megan, not just this person that seems to have everything together all the time. Did you feel more guarded as a younger coach because of that? Yeah, I think partly too, because, you know, I was a lesbian living in Alabama uh, working in the deep South where there was one, there's no other, most female coaches gay or straight are probably the only coach on their staff that is Mm -hmm. female. So you kind of are like, well, do I look like them or do I have to act like them? I don't want to stand out because, or I don't want to get called out. And so it's like trying to find place within an organization while also developing as a human, right? Like are two important things happening. And so people have a lot of indirect and direct influence over that. And then I think just being comfortable with who, who I am and, um, having more, I, I worked for, uh, Nell Fortner, who was a gold medal winning basketball coach. She was the first basketball coach I ever worked for. I'm like, here I am my first full-time job. I'm working for this legendary coach. Shout out Nell. Um, but she was able to have so many women on her staff and, and having was probably one of my first true her and the soccer coach at Auburn were my first true females in leadership position that they weren't necessarily mentors of mine, but I got to see how they led as women. And there weren't there just weren't a lot of examples within my direct industry of that, um, especially just where I was. And so when people are like, who are your mentors? I'm like, well, I don't know. And I didn't really have a lot, 
I have a lot of examples, but I didn't have a lot of mentors. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And I mean, I think it it describes the modeling that you were just talking about a little while ago. I mean, they were modeling what a female leader could look like, you know, and whether you were aware of that or not at the time, it sounds like, I mean, it definitely had an impact on you. And now you're carrying that forward in, you know, your role today. You know, it's funny. Someone was talking to me yesterday and they're like talking about the path. And I'm one of the people that has created this path for other female coaches into professional sports. And when people say that, I literally feel like they're talking to someone else. I'm like, because, <laughs> you know, I'm still just head in the dirt. We're going to work, right? And um, it, I'm not ready to look back because I'm still very much being present. Um, uh, but I, I have always appreciated I got in trouble my first year at a professional conference after being certified because they thought that I was me and this other guy were starting like a separate organization when really all we wanted was like we were making a newsletter for other young coaches and they're like, Oh, well, that's great. That's fantastic. And I'm like, I've always thought like connecting people together and, and driving that and whether it was young coaches and people around me and then people above me and, uh, there's just like you're saying, like learning doesn't have to be static. Like that's actually probably one of my least favorite forms of learning now is print, um, but very much in experiential and relational. And what what can I gain so I don't have to go through what you went through to to understand something? And it's not the I want to pick your brain and like steal your juice. It's I, I literally want to understand what were the hard moments that you had to go through as a coach. And what made you stay with it or decide to do something different? And the, those are interesting conversations to have. So actually, let me flip it back to you. What has been your most challenging coaching moment so far? And like, what made you decide to keep coaching? I mean, it hasn't been one specific moment, but the way that I coach, I mean, for me, it's a coach-athlete relationship with the emphasis on that word relationship. So all the things that you were talking about earlier, which is gaining, you know, that trust, making that connection with someone um, is, is super important. And so you become a part of their lives. I mean, I, I'm not a nosy person, but I'm a part of someone's life and I want to know, you know, what's, what's going on sometimes in broad strokes, just so that, you know, I can understand how it's going to affect or influence this pursuit of competitive running for them. And and also understanding like, okay, how is this pursuit of competitive running fitting into, you know, the overall picture of their life? Because I want to make sure that it's occupying a healthy space. Because when I look back to my days as an athlete, uh, I've had periods of time where it was not occupying a healthy space. And I wish I had more support in that area. So what happens, not often, but it happens when you get to know someone on on that level. Things happen in their their lives that profoundly, you know, affect them. And what yeah. is is challenging for me is like I'm a very empathetic person as well, and I want to help them, but realizing what my limitations are and where I have to say, this is beyond what I can do for you in a coaching capacity and have the confidence to say, but let me make some recommendations for a therapist that you can talk to or what I think, you know, your next step should be. Because as a, you know, as a younger coach, I would be frozen in those moments and not know what to do or what to say. And I think I 
have given some bad advice or guidance in the past. And I've just had to realize like what my own limitations are. And I think that comes with experience and, you know, maturity. And I think, um, there were moments where I was like, if this is what coaching is, I don't want, I don't want to have anything to do with it. But when I realized like, okay, I got to know what I don't know and I can still point someone in the right direction and support them in that way. Um, I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, and I can help, I can actually like help them out more than if I tried to solve their problems for them, if that makes sense. It's a great question. I love because in my personal life, the question, what are my limits? I hope is never a question, but professionally it is the most important question. Mm -hmm. What are my limits? And part, part of that is protecting yourself and your personal liability, but really it's the people you care about. It's Mm -hmm. what are my limits as a coach? Because there's, and being a coach for longer, you you know you have now a network of people you can outsource to. Right. And it's less about like, oh, I couldn't, <laughs> maybe it's this uh, altruistic like healing of everything and being all, all encompassing for someone. It's no one should be your everything, even as a coach. 100%. So what areas am I limiting? And I love that you said, sometimes I just want to know enough in broad strokes. And I think that's also good to do because, you know, I, I could call one of my players every night or go to dinner with them or engage with their families more, but it's also really important to have limits and understand those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it doesn't mean you care less. It actually might mean you care more. Yeah. Because you you know enough to set that and say, what is my limit? I, th- I think that's very well said. And I think a challenge a lot of younger coaches run into, and, and this was certainly the case for me, is you're like, okay, you know, at least, at least in, in my world of coaching, I mean, as you described earlier, your system's a bit different. You don't have any say over the players that you get to work with because the team decides that. In my world, people come to me and they're like, hey, Mario, I would like to hire you to help me achieve this goal of qualifying for the Boston Marathon, to use a you know a common example. And I'll always have an initial conversation with someone to get to know them better. And my spidey sense is good at this point. I'm like, I think this is going to be a good fit, or I can recommend someone else who I think might be a better fit based on how that, you know, how that conversation went. But as a as a younger coach, I would just you know, and I think you have to do this to a point, I would say yes to, to everyone. And so I would have some athletes that I just wasn't a good match with from the get go, but I would also think that I had to know everything. Like they're coming to me for my expertise to get them where they want to go. So I have to know everything. If they ask me a question, I need to have the answers. And I I really took that to heart as a, as a young coach. And I had to finally admit to myself, I don't have all the answers or this is beyond the scope of what I can do, you know, to help this athlete. And yeah, as I, one was able to accept that two was able to build out, you know, my own network three able to just like knock my ego down, you know, a little bit more. I think that helped me to become a better coach. Like I could actually say, okay, like this, this is not a question that I know the answer to, but I know someone who does, let me reach out to that person. I'll find out for you. Um, you know, and oftentimes that's in, you know, when it comes to, you know, injuries or if there's, you know, nutritional deficiencies, things that I am not, trained in. Um, but I know people who are, and they can help answer those questions for me. Whereas before I'd tell them what I knew, which often wasn't much. And I'm like, this isn't helping you, you know, type of type of situation. I I was just thinking too, it's interesting to reflect back to that and say like, what were we so afraid of 
for admitting we yeah, didn't know, 100%. right? And if you think about like you pay a marketing team to do the said project and it has all the constraints. If you if you ask them, can you do this? They would be like, that's not within the bounds of the project. I don't hear coaches say that's not within the bounds of the project, right? It's it, we don't take sometimes the business sense and acumen that we actually do have and use that because so much of what's used as our our business is our personality. Mm-hmm. So it's like if we're saying, "Oh, I don't know this," I'm saying I don't know it as a person, not I don't know it as a profession. Um, and, and so that's just interesting to reflect on and say like. Where does the projection of an insecurity or, or the fear of not knowing something come from? Because I can tell you too, when I've been vulnerable enough and learned that, and now it's not even vulnerable, it's just called Tuesday at four o'clock, um, to admit I don't know something, players and people, 90% of the time are like, okay, cool. And I, or I'll give, you know what, that's a great question. Let me think Get about that. You, right? Let me go ask my network, you know, yeah. and it's no one is hurt. But when we are like, here's this answer, and I'm like, I have no idea if that's actually the answer. I have put myself in a position to actually hurt someone. Yeah, that that resonates at a very, very deep level. Um, In the time that we have left, one thing I'm really curious about in your specific case is how your cancer diagnosis, if at all, changed how you coach or how you approach working with athletes. I think like that was the definitive moment of no longer separating the person and the coach mm. when I came back because it was how could you you know uh, yeah you couldn't and so many people knew the kind of like deepest moment of my life because it, I had no problem sharing it publicly or Auburn supporting me and the soccer community and the coaching community supporting me so after that it's like how do you put that back in a box and be like now let me be this private person. That didn't feel authentic to me. Um, and so I think just ever since then, I've been able to live and know that how I present is just who I am. And that's it. it it's not a, uh, a separation of two. It's, it's I, when I walk out the door and I go to sleep at night, I'm the same person. And um yeah, it also creates a lot more mental space to go back to to learn more. So, yeah, I think it. I realized too, it doesn't serve me if I'm spending all my time trying to separate these two. <laughs> then I'm spending a lot of energy that I could be doing on other things, like being curious and playful and evolving myself. So, um, I'm really glad that happened, and that's why I say like cancer is one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because after that point, I, I know exactly what I stand for. Um, I know exactly the person I am. And I knew that at 30 years old. So like what a blessing to be able to come out on the other side of that and know that for however many years I get on this planet. Man, how do we even go on from there? We have to, though. I have more well, questions. So I'm just going to... Yeah, just... Yeah. I'm just going to take a hard pivot and and go right to yeah. it because I know we've only got about 10 minutes or so left. But, you know, one thing you wrote to me in a message is, you know, you're about cultivating a high performance lifestyle. And I'm curious exactly what you what you mean by that. Um, uh, you, for myself or for others? 
curious what you mean by that for yourself and then also extrapolating that out to others. Yep. Um, I've been lucky enough to be afforded the opportunity to go to graduate school and learn some different things that um, are helpful for performance, but you realize how much of performance within athletics is important for life. And at the time of my cancer diagnosis, I was the fittest, strongest, healthiest, quote unquote, version of myself. And I do think that foundationally, that helped me get to the other side. I was also internally the most stressed version of myself, um, probably due to the separation of kind of that person, the coach and the person. Mm-hmm. And also I worked six straight years with no more than one day off a year. Um, and so that, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe in work-life balance, but I'll leave in, I believe in balance. Um, and, and so that's kind of like where this high performance lifestyle kind of comes from and realizing like I can work really hard and have a really high quality of life. And the work I do is in performance. Well, how much of that is going to transcend into the next 40 years of my life? And if you're like me, you like to read research articles and you get summaries of research articles sent to your inbox weekly so that you can stay on top of all of them. And we, and we know some things. You should probably do some amount of fitness. You should probably care about your sleep. You should probably care about what you eat. You should probably care about your relationships. And you should probably care about doing some form of resistance training. And um, then you can dive into supplements and vagal nerve stimulation and all those other things down the road. But like at the foundation, those principles – I believe should be accessible in terms of education and access for everyone. And I, I am a big proponent of what Andrew Huberman's journey has been to be able to share information. And I think that shows the positive side of what social media can do and podcasts can do. Um, but even more so like being a living example of that can also help because, um, there may be someone that identifies with some part of who I am and whether it's the cancer patient or the person with awesome hair or the non runner, you know, or the dog lover, like whatever these components are, there's nothing that makes me unique except all the individual pieces. And so if someone can identify with those, then hopefully they can also identify with some part of my lifestyle. And if I can help them take that back, and maybe have a desire to then add something else. That's what I want to do for a hundred million people. I'm glad I asked you that. And I appreciate you sharing that because it made me think of two things. One, just in coaching, um, those of us who work with athletes, we're trying to help people achieve peak performance or a desired goal. And I've had to really look myself in the mirror on this. And I know plenty of other coaches across a wide range of sports who've, who've had to do the same. I mean, a lot of coaches, especially, you know, at the collegiate level, high school level, uh, and even if you work with individual athletes tend not to really practice what they preach in that way with our athletes. I mean, tell our athletes all the time, like you got to make sure you prioritize sleep, you're eating well, you've got, you know, good balance in your life. And I see a lot of coaches who, 
don't sleep at all, just power through, uh, are always on all the time. And that was definitely me, you know, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And I mean, I, I literally had a, a moment that put me in the hospital where I just, I, I mean, literally fell asleep standing up, hit my head and was in the hospital. And that was like, thank God it wasn't worse than that, but it was a literal wake up call for me to be like, all right, you got to change some stuff. Um, this is not, you know, sustainable. So I think it's important for other coaches to hear this too. It's like, you know, don't look at yourself as, you know, more important than what it is that you're preaching to, you know, your athletes, you got to take care of yourself too. So you can be there, you know, for, for your athletes, but also, you know, outside of, of that realm as well. Um, and then the second thing is just, you know, this high performance lifestyle, cause I see it, uh, and this is something that's really important to me in my, my coaching practice, because most of the people that I work with are not professional athletes. They have lives outside of sport, families, jobs, etc. And like all these things that I am trying to have you do to help you improve your running, can carry over to the other parts of your life as well. Performance is performance. Um, and that's why I like that you call it a high-performance lifestyle because it shouldn't just be, I do this for running and then I do the opposite of all of that for everything else you know, in my life. It's like all these things should, I think, carry over across different domains because that's what's going to help us to be, I think, just more wholesome in general. You know, and I love this question. I don't remember where I learned it is, what is your perfect day? And I ask that a lot to people I work with. I'm like, just tell me your perfect day. And a lot of times they'll still include their work. They'll still include their family. They And I'm like, great. And then you get people like me that are like, my perfect day probably does have some aspect of coaching in it, but it has a lot more time outside mm -hmm. Yeah, and it has a lot more time with my dog. And, and it lets me realize like, okay, well, how am I working towards that? And so you can tell your wife, I fully support the non 401k plan, but that's also why we need partners that have 401k plans. So I get it. <laughs> um, there's dreamers out there. Um, so th I, I think that one, like being able to access that and understand like what is the goal of your life, not just like what is this performance goal and where does that fit in? And so when you ask someone their perfect day and they talk about this workout in the morning, this workout in the afternoon, you're like, awesome. Guess what? You're already starting one of those things. Just I can't wait for you to be five years down the road when that's every day, you know, and that's this time of day. Uh, and I think that's the difference between like, yes, early – um, early growth and hitting like goals early is really important, but then like long-term that journey of like, what, what is it we're working towards? And it, and that's why to me, it doesn't matter if it's the return to run to return to whatever's after, because it just becomes the next thing. Um, I think it's important to see that there's this lifestyle it all fits in. It doesn't have to be this check the box list of things to do every day. I, I would much rather feel like, you know what else fits into my lifestyle? Eating sushi with friends occasionally or having the off day where I do nothing. Or you know what? The having the night where we Netflix and chill. Like it, all of those things can still fit in a high performance life and you don't have to feel guilty about them. You can actually be grateful. You can be grateful that you didn't respond to any emails on a Tuesday. Mm. That's awesome. And the other thing I wanted to say too for coaches is I think coaches have the harshest mirror sometimes. And I said this, I think, to someone the other day around, like, we can be so hard 
and so unkind to ourselves because most, most coaches were athletes at one point. And what we remember is the athlete person. And we're like, well, I already know what it's like to hit my best PR and to go through what you're going through. And, and we don't necessarily want to go through that path again, or don't think we can. And then we're not unwilling to change those goals. So it's like, why would I try? And I'm like, okay, so that's why coaches need coaches. And hopefully that's a never ending cycle of coaches needing coaches so that all coaches have coaches. So my advice to coaches is one, be kind to yourself. And if you are so far removed from the person doing all the right things and the checklist, just start with one thing, what, whatever that one thing is. And I don't care what it is. If it's to drink less or to eat more or to sleep more, like just choose one and don't feel like you have to get it right all the time. Just stick with it till it doesn't even feel like you're sticking with it. Then worry about the next thing. I love it. I think that's a perfect place to wrap up this conversation. If people want to follow you, keep you accountable in this running journey that you are now on, again, Coach Mega Strong on Instagram. But <laughs> Megan Young, this has been an awesome conversation. I look forward to continuing it either offline or maybe in a future episode of this podcast. But thank you so much for joining me on The Morning Shakeout. Thank you so much. This is awesome. All right, that's it for this one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. If you could, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into this from. It means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners to discover the show. Also, a big thank you to my annual partners, Tracksmith, New Balance, Precision Fuel and Hydration, and Gooder for making it possible. Check out themorningshakeout.com slash partners to take advantage of some of the discount codes and special offers that are available exclusively to readers and listeners of The Morning Shakeout. Before we go, I'd like to give a couple more quick shout outs. The first to John Summerford, who has edited and produced every episode of the podcast since we launched it in late 2017. He's the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. The second goes to Chris Douglas, who is my right-hand man and helps manage partner relationships. And last but not least, Nicole Bush, who gives me a hand with social media content strategy and creation and is my co-host for Training Talk Thursday, which you can tune into on Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Morning Shakeout's Instagram account, which you can find at the AM Shakeout. And that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>